All right, we're going to start a little bit early. I think we're about five minutes early, and uh, we were just upstairs, and Russ was looking through one of these books. This particular one's on Asia, and I thought it would be a good example or illustration to bring down to you. Uh, you know, people people try to add works as a means of salvation, and we can't compare to what other people do for works. When we talk about works, we're not talking about helping a little lady over the street or anything like that. These Buddhist monks, and I'm gonna hand this around where you can look at it, have traveled for hundreds of miles. And what they do is they stand up, they clap their hands, they take one step, they kneel down, they prostrate themselves, and then they stand up and clap their hands and take one step and kneel down and prostrate themselves. And here, we climbed a mountain in China. And these guys have traveled for hundreds of miles to come to the top of this mountain because it's supposed to be some kind of holy mountain. And if you wanna to try to do works, try to compare with these guys. The other one, I had it marked and I lost it here, but I'll find it for you, is a Buddhist monk who decided that the work that would get him to heaven would be to sit out. This is a Buddhist temple in Thailand called Shwedagon. And he decided that the thing that would get him, of course, they don't think of it in terms of heaven. They think of it in terms of minimizing their reincarnations. This guy right there decided that, it, that if he sat and stared into the sun until he went blind, that that would be enough work to minimize his, because they believe in karma, right? So every bad thing you've done, you have to pay for in the next life but they're trying to minimize their reincarnation. I always get a kick out of it. In America, when people say, I believe in reincarnation, they don't realize to a Buddhist, reincarnation is hell. Because what it means is the next life you pay for everything you did in this life, and then the next life after that, you pay for everything you do in that life. And it's not that you're reincarnating higher and higher, you're actually getting lower and lower. That's why they don't want you to kick a cat or kill a dog because that could be their grandfather. So pass that around and, and just look at those two pictures. Uh, these guys climbing the mountain and this guy staring into the sun. Nan took both of those pictures. So these are things that we've actually seen. It's very hard to imagine uh, the, the mentality that would drive you to the point of blinding yourself in the hope that somehow you would pay some kind of penance for your sins. But that's exactly what they're doing there. Pretty terrible. All right, gentlemen, we're gonna start in Psalm. We were there earlier, Psalm 37. And I'm just going to throw out some things and maybe we can uh, get some feedback or discussion or uh, whatever you guys feel like doing. If not, we'll just keep moving along. But I'd be happy to have 
Any input on your part? We looked at Psalm 37 earlier, just a couple of the verses, but I want to go a little bit further. And then we'll maybe turn to a couple of passages in the New Testament. All right, let's just uh, once again begin with a word of prayer. Father, how we thank you for your grace, how we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the love of Christ. Without him being willing to come and seek and save that which was lost and sacrifice himself in our place, where would we be and what hope would we have? We would have no hope at all. So, Father, once again, we open your word. We recognize that we stand on holy ground. Uh, We pray that our lives are cleansed by the power that you have to wash us and cleanse us from all sin. And we pray that our minds will be renewed, that our souls will be challenged, and that we'll be more conformed to your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 37 is a psalm that I think should challenge any man, and uh, I want to look at a few passages that I think should challenge each and every one of us. Uh, We start out uh, in verse 1, a psalm of David. I might point out to you, in a lot of translations, they stop adding the superscription. Uh, The superscription is the little, uh, usually it's in small print at the top of the psalm, and what a lot of people don't realize is that is verse 1 in the Hebrew. So if you have a Bible that drops that out, uh, I would encourage you to get a Bible that has it. Uh, For example, Psalm 38 begins a Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. That's actually verse 1 in the Hebrew. Some of them will just say a Psalm of David. Some of them uh, will actually, like Psalm 50, Uh, will actually tell us where and when that psalm was recorded. Uh, For this one, we simply have a psalm of David. So he starts out with a challenge for us that I think is really valuable for all of us in the time we're living. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So his number one challenge to us here at the start, don't fret yourself because of what you see. And that's, I I don't know about all of you, but that's a command that I need every time I check out what's going on in the world. I usually don't watch TV. I don't watch newscasts, uh, but I do have several sites that I look at. And it's very easy to get discouraged and it's very easy to get uh, frustrated and Basically, what he's talking about is fretting because of the things that we see going on in the country. He says, don't worry, don't fret. Justice is coming. And we know that while there may be very little justice left in our country, there is justice coming from God. But after that, starting in verse 3, we actually have eight commands. I want to just take these eight commands, and the first one is trust in the Lord. They're they're kind of uh, situated in couplets, so trust in the Lord and do good is the first one. 
Instead of being frustrated about what's going on in our country and around the world, let's trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord is the antidote, if you will, to frustration and uh, being all upset and wound up about what's going on in the world. Our second command there is dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We saw this, of course, uh, in relation to Boaz and Elimelech and Naomi. Um, the command to the children of Israel was stay in the land. Uh, that command is repeated many, many times in the book of Deuteronomy and, and on through the Psalms. I didn't look all of those up, but I do know that there are many, many times that command is repeated. Dwell in the land. That was God's geographical will for the children of Israel. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. I would suggest that the reason the famine happened in the time of Naomi and Elimelech was that the people had ceased feeding on God's faithfulness. If they weren't going to feed on his faithfulness, then he was going to cut down their supply of physical food. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's one of the, to me, one of the most precious promises in the whole word of God. Delight yourself in the Lord. He knows the desires of our heart. He knows the things that we want. He knows uh, the deepest uh, hopes and dreams that we have. But he has a way to fulfill each and every one of those desires in a right way. Our problem is when we try to fulfill them, we fulfill them in the wrong way. His way will always be right and it will always be without adverse consequences and discipline. The fourth command we find in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. In other words, we pray and we commit ourselves to Him. And as James tells us, we should not say we're going to go to such and such a city and buy and sell and make gain. We should say, if the Lord wills, we're going to do this. In other words, we're going to pray about it. We're going to ask God for His guidance. And then we can commit our way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And the idea of righteousness and justice here, uh, we're told in Psalm 97 and verse 2 that God, the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. That means that he always does what is right. He always does what is fair. It is impossible for him to be unjust in any way. And when we commit our way to the Lord and trust him, he is going to bring that reflection of his character out in our life. Command number five, rest in the Lord. We saw rest being one of the key words in the book of Ruth. We'll run into that again tomorrow. Rest in the Lord. Command number six, wait patiently for him. The word wait, I'm sure you're all familiar with the... Uh, Promise in Isaiah, they that wait on the Lord 
mount up with wings as eagles. They run and not grow weary. They walk and not faint. Wait is the strongest Hebrew word for faith. And the reason is because it indicates a willingness to be patient, to persist, uh, to persevere, maybe for a period of time before you see the fulfillment of your prayers, your hopes, or whatever being provided. So wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him that prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Again, this is, he keeps repeating this because this is the central thing that he's trying to resolve in our lives. How can we not be anxious about what's going on in our world? Well, these eight commands that we're looking at are the antidote or the solution to anxiety. Command number seven, look at verse eight, cease from anger and forsake wrath. When we fret, we generally tend to get angry. We get angry at the things that are going on. We get angry at the people that are promoting those things, but we need to be delivered from that anger. The wrath of man, you'll remember James tells us, does not fulfill the righteousness of God. And then there at the end of verse 8, he kind of wraps it up with the same command that he's, this is now the third time that he's mentioned this, do not fret, it only causes harm. Do not fret, it only causes harm. It causes harm to us, and ultimately it ends up causing harm to other people. Don't fret. All right, guys. Questions, comments? I'd like to do right here, right? Russell, cease from anger, forsake <laughs> wrath. Well, that doesn't do not, hurt. Do not that doesn't hurt. But speaking right to me. <laughs> what was three? What was what? Three. The third command. What was the third command? The third command is right up there in verse four delight yourself in the Lord. See it? Verse 4. No, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. What's your, what's your Bible say? You know what? You're in the wrong. You're in the wrong Psalm. You need to be in Psalm 37. 37? Yeah. Let's jump over here a ways. Yeah, it always helps when we're on the same. <laughs> Pays. There you go. Delight yourself in the Lord. The biggest thing I find with all this right here, if we could just trust. Just what? Trust. Yeah. I was telling Jesse earlier. You get, if I could get rust out of the way and trust, my life would be a whole lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's always the challenge. I'm not sovereign. God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. He's in control. Yeah, it's hard when your whole life's built around 
problem solving. Yep. Or. Um, and men are problem solving. Yeah, tend to be. Uh, problem solving or, you know, like the mechanic that takes the broke vehicle and knows how to tear it down and rebuild it. And you try to take those same skills and abilities and apply it to everyday life. It doesn't work. Seems like we always come up a little short. We always come up. We we come up a long way short. Usually we make it worse. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's easy getting away. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. You look at those eight commands. Uh, we've got two that are basically dealing with negatives. Stop being angry and stop fretting. And probably we ought to reverse those from a logical and practical point of view. How come we get angry because we're fretting? So those two are the negatives, and then we've got the positives, and they all have to do basically with trust. Trust, dwell, delight, commit, rest, wait. I mean, how many different ways do we need to be told to do the same thing? I think so. Yeah. I think it's why the Bible repeats itself so many times. <clears throat> you know, same command, how many times? How many times do we find fear not in the Bible? Over and over and over and over. Fear not, fear not, fear not. What's, what's, the, what's the first thing? Well, I've heard people say it's, uh, the command fear not is found 365 times in the Bible, one for each day. But I've looked that up and and from what sources I've gotten, they say that's not true. I mean, it sounds nice, you know, one for each day, fear not. But I mean, if it's 168 times or however many times they say it should be enough. How many times do we have to be told? And yet we still fear. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What's the first thing we do? I'm afraid. Yeah. Yep. We, were, we were talking when we had the get-together with the pastors. And we were talking about the, the first thing everyone thinks about when they think about Kansas is what? Wizard of Oz. You know? You go to, if you're in another state and they say, where are you going? I'm going to Kansas. Oh, well, you're not in Kansas anymore. You know, they'll yeah. quote that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But think about it. How many of us are just like the scarecrow, you know, or we, we, we wish God would give us more of a brain. The tin man, we want more of a heart. The lion wants more courage. Dorothy wants a home. And the thing I've always found fascinating about that movie, they go to the Wizard of Oz, who's just a guy behind a curtain, but pretending to be somebody. And what does he do to get them what they want? He sends them on a mission. And the funny thing is, as they go about the mission, they all get what they want. 
If you watch that show carefully, you'll notice the scarecrow starts doing the thinking. The tin man's the one showing compassion and the lion's the one showing the courage. Even though he's scared to death, he's still trying to, to show courage. And it's kind of like, I think maybe when God, you know, we go to him and we ask him, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to be like this. And he says, okay, here's a little mission for you. And instead of just dropping it on us, you're going to have to work this out. Maybe it's what Paul was talking about when he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling what God works in you. And we have to make it a reality in our life. He will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delight yourself in the Lord, so delight yourself in His plan for your life and those desires, which are really His desires for your life, will come out. Well, yeah, the interesting thing is if you delight yourself in Him, He is the desire of your heart, and He's going to give you Himself. How much better is that than anything else we want? Good thoughts. You young men have any ideas, thoughts, comments? Don't you hate it when someone asks that? Anything that was in your mind just went out the window. Yeah. Huh? Never failed. You're sitting there with a dozen questions, and then when you get asked if there's a question, you can't remember one. I know, that's what always happens to me. Gene did a conference here some years ago called Redeeming the Time. Mm -hmm. And even, even me, don't redeem the time like I should. I never forgot it. Because our life is so short. Life is short in general, but you think about salvation, from the point of salvation, say you're 20 years old, you don't know. You could the next day could be your end day, your last day. Let's say you live another 30 years, 40 years. It's still short. Redeem the time and try to put that old baggy stuff behind you. You know, we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. And it's just it, it's the sin, the baggage, all that lays you down. And it you then you lose your quiet times. And if you could encourage me to read Psalm 37 a little more every day. You know? Start out better start out with a better day. Instead of just being rushed and not. You know, it, it's it's is it about him or not? Yeah. It's about him. Every day you wake up it's about him. Uh -huh. It should be about him. He should be your central. Yeah. He should be this in your life, not all this out here. Yeah. Trudy gets on me for listening to Bill O'Reilly because I think he's one of the true journalists you can get on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I get the short segment of it. But I want truth. But at the same time, when he's frustrated a little bit what's going on here, I get a little bit frustrated. I got to calm down and say, who's in charge of this? And who knows about it? Yeah. God. Well, that's Psalm 37 in action yep. right there. Yep. Who's in charge? I haven't watched the news on TV for oh, I haven't either. 12 years. No. I wondered why you still had dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what you come to is I finally came to the realization that they're just dragging me down with everyone else. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's not the way. Yeah. What they're saying is not the truth. It's not the way. Yeah. And it's not the reality. Yeah. And I don't I don't have to be a part of that let it weigh me down. 
That's not where, and they have no answers. That's true. They tell you what they want you to hear, and very seldom is any of it good news, all bad news. That's the way they get lots of listeners. Yeah, bad news sells. And the, the people that you see that watch a lot of news and feed off of that are the people that need the most amount of help. Yeah. It really feeds a lot of what you've went into today. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely uh, robs you of any peace and joy in life. If we could rest on this promise every day right here in Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Uh-huh. And put all of this in perspective now. It's nothing but humanism and unworldliness. And just rest in what you've got going on here. Yeah. You're going to be a better light to other people, too. Uh-huh. I couldn't get caught up in the middle of it serious in my face at work every day. I'm frustrated with the way they do things now because we got bought out, but it's like, my gosh, this is so short. You're not gonna be here very long. Yeah. You'd be, here, you'd be gone tomorrow. What kind of example you what kind of witness are you for Christ? Mm -hmm. I remind myself a lot all the time. <laughs> I tell people and I that's I'm one of the new ones. Yeah. I tell them you're either part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. What part of the new one? Yeah. You can be the the good inspiration. Good. You can be part of it. And that's based on perspective and attitude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And at the end of the day, you got to check yourself for your perspective. You got to check yourself for your attitude. Yeah. You that's going to determine humbleness. That's going to determine your day, your life, everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And just what you point out there that's so important. How many of us ever come to the end of our day and just spend a few minutes evaluating the day? Because really, if we do that, we're going to be a lot more equipped the next day to be alert to things that we need not to do or like the commands here, don't do this, but do this. And of course, we have to depend on the Spirit of God to make all those things real in our lives, but... We're not even going to do that if we're not looking to him and trusting him to do that. Yeah. I want to do it in our own strength if we're control freaks like I am. I'm convicted by it all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's good too to think about what you think about. What did you think about today? What did you think about? How did you treat people? Yeah, Holy Spirit's there. Are you confessing every day the sin? Gene talked about? Are we in that are we in that quiet time confessing your sins on a daily basis? And it probably should be at the moment basis. But I find for my for me, my biggest problem here is quiet times. And, and not only quiet, you gotta you gotta apply this thing. We've got to apply the word. Mm -hmm. Don't apply the word, you can do no good. My biggest fear, and this is not my biggest fear, my fear is that how will I be remembered the people around me I'm trying to convert to Christ, mm -hmm. bring them to Satan over to Christ at work when I'm getting gone or gone from retirement, not retirement you now. Do you remember me being off and on, you know, because I'm grouchy or I'm trying to control things? Uh -huh. It really bugs me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. 
I do not want that. Yeah. But it's a learned behavior, I think, in childhood. It's just stuff I did. It's still shutting off the old man, my opinion. And I reflect on it. The sin of nature doesn't die easy. No, it don't. And I, I have a wife that helps keep me. That's why God gave us a wife. <laughs> they're able to right. they're able to spot it. That's right. We like to kind of cover it over. That's right. We want that anger. We want, yeah. we want to be angry. Now. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely have to reflect every day how you how you dealt with it. And I find myself in a position of management that all and, and, and you said something I want to come back to. You say quiet. When you reflect at the end of the day, and quiet time is very important for, for that to happen, but when you reflect at the end of the day, I find myself uh, kind of viewing my days in situations, things that happen and transpire with, with people because my, my whole day is interacting with people. Uh -huh. Not all those are turn out the way you like them. I think it's very important to reflect on that. If you didn't handle those situations in the way that you would, uh, you'd want someone else to handle them with you and respect it in a, in a manner that was right, in a manner that would be pleasing to God, well, you know, that's a, that's a situation you have to take ownership of to make that situation right. Yeah. Kind of goes back to the very fundamental demand, doesn't it? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And that right there can change a lot of our lives. Well, it changes the respect that you have for they have for you and you have for them. Uh -huh. And he said something very important in life. That's something that all of us, the whole world has a noise to it. You as young people need this is very important to you. Is the world is it's wants to block everything out with noise. And yeah. Noise comes from from the radio. It comes from everything around this pressure of noise uh -huh. to block out that to block out the clarity that you can find here. I let that noise block out so many years of my life. It's it's just scary. Uh, but that noise isn't what your soul is. You've got to take that time to shut everything off. Yeah, the devil's a master of distraction. Yep. He can get us looking at everything except what we need to be looking at. You know, uh, one of the things that changed my perspective was uh, my told book that Navy SEALs wrote. It's not really about, but it's about, it's called Extreme Ownership. I actually uh -huh. had us read it at work. I don't know if you, did you read any of the I know the book. Um, it changed a lot of my perspectives. Yeah. That was really good. It, it takes away the right to say somebody else didn't do what they should have or you know, it's their fault or their problem. Exactly. Now, what am I going to do about my part? Yep. Yeah. 
What's that guy's name? I know his name real well. Uh, Navy SEAL guy, I can't think of his name. Good book. The more recent one? Navy SEALs? Uh, Marcus Luttrell or something like that, right? Well, he's probably around that time. Recent I, guy. I had my sister read that book. It changed her life and she made her husband save it there. Wow. That's huge. Put her on path with a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Little things. Just the right, the right truth or the right comment at the right time. Well, let's look at another scripture here. Let's go to Second Corinthians. Kind of trying to build off of. Where if we do Psalm 37, where is it going to lead us? Maybe it'll lead us to what Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This passage has had a huge effect in my life. Second Corinthians 5. You got it there? I'm going to start in verse 14. 221. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, that is, God the Father made Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I just think about five or six things in this that are worth highlighting does the love of Christ compel us? The word compel is a word that means to drive forward under force. Kind of like if you smash a tube of toothpaste, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be driven forward by force. So the real question here is, is, is the love of Christ really what moves and motivates us? That would be the first thing. Are we motivated by the love of Christ? Second thing that I would notice. Do we really have a perspective of other people there in verse 16 and 17? We regard no one according to the flesh. You know, the, the natural thing for us to do is to judge people based on appearance. This person doesn't appeal to me. This person, I don't like the way they dress or whatever, you know, the way they look. Paul says... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. In other words, 
we once thought of him as a great teacher or maybe a reformer or, you know, a great rabbi. That was the fleshly human way of seeing him. Now we see him for who he really is. Are we able to look at those around us and see not what they appear to be or even what they are, but what they could become in Christ? What could God do with this person? And that's because He makes each and every one of us a new creation. Are we willing to give the uh, benefit of the doubt to someone else that God can do for them what He's done for us? And then He talks about having the ministry of reconciliation. That's something that belongs to every one of us. Remember that the word reconcile means to make peace between enemies. It's not that God's our enemy, it's that we have become His enemy because of the fall of man and sin entering the human race. How can we carry that message of reconciliation to other people? And so then He calls us in verse 20, ambassadors. Or What kind of an ambassador am I? And I am, and am I an ambassador that actually re represents Christ, or am I a poor ambassador? Those are the thoughts that that I see in this passage. That if I'm really, most of what we see in Psalm 37 is internal. Commit, trust. You know, rely on Him. All those things that that we see the command there. But now, this passage brings it out in the open. Am I being compelled by the love of Christ in the way that I talk, in the way that I think, in the way that I view other people? How am I, how am I representing the Lord as my ambassador? What are your thoughts? My biggest struggle with that, and I'm open to anything on this, is once you've screwed up like that a little bit, you, you tend to maybe have mistakes around people, and especially coworkers. How do you reconcile? How do you deal with that? I mean, how do you, you know, I just, on a daily basis, the next day you go in, you were short the day before, and you're convicted of it by God's word, just because you know better. Like, then what do you do? <laughs> I think the very best thing is just be honest and say, guys, yesterday I fell down. Yeah. I'm sorry the way I acted. I got my temper got loose, whatever. You know, it's a very rare thing, and, and especially with our wives. It's very hard for us to say I'm sorry to our wife, and it shouldn't be. And I've learned with my wife, I tell her that all the time. I'm sorry I was short. I'm sorry I was demanding. Um and, you know, she tells me, just to hear you admit it and say that is just so refreshing. Because if you never say it, they'll never know that you regret it or that you True. want to correct it. True. How are they going to know? You can say, well, I'll do better next time. But then the next time you get short and, yeah. and everything, they're going to say, yeah, same old guy. Yeah. I, I, I talk this way as if it's every minute of the day and every day. It's not, but 
yeah, those weeks, uh, maybe one day out of the week, you feel like you blew it and there's no, there's no chance of return. But like you well, said, I think there is. I think the ability to, to just be honest and say, I'm sorry, I, you know, I let the pressure get to me yesterday. I was short with you guys or I, you know, blew my top, whatever it is. That's good. I Some people like to provoke. They do. And I've been there myself in my life. I, I, I've been a great person to do that to people, you know. So I know that, you know, it's in, it's in our nature to be that way. So I'll just say that, and I'll, and I'll say again, uh, every day I try to be better than the next day. Yeah. And I tell that to people all the time, too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn from this situation yeah. I think too. Just keep in mind if you do confess it to whoever, maybe, maybe even two or three at a time. That's that's humbling yourself. You're saying, "Well, they know now. I know that I recognize it, and it may help you to grow from it and not do it again." Exactly. But how many people do you see that ever come back after they blow their top and say, I'm sorry I was wrong? Not very many. It's it's so easy to just leave it behind. Well, yeah. that was yesterday. Yeah. I'll just move on, but. You build a wall. Yeah, and regardless of how they respond to us saying, hey, I blew it yesterday, I'm sorry. It's helped us already we're already better for the fact that we took ownership mm -hmm. of what we did. And not that I haven't done it, maybe I don't do it enough. I'm always right, you know. <laughs> I'm always right. I'm right, I'm right. We'll ask Trudy and see about that. <laughs> I'm right, I'm right. I don't have to apologize, no. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Most times she's right. Yeah. How about you, Jesse? Anything? 
He's, sitting, he, he's just sitting here enjoying listening to us talk. I hear that. <laughs> he's taking notes. It, it reminds me of the uh, first job I ever did. Um, I was working for the He brought us some order in the grout or whatever, and you had to tell him in order. So if they order something first, you get it second. So, so I ordered this stuff, and, and I knew what happened. And this guy over here, he was a he was an old bricklayer. Everybody just kind of took care of him. He's still one of the best bricklayers I've ever seen. But he ordered after I did. And we're coming down here, and we had to get this wall grouted, and they were just laying a little bit of block. And uh, this operator, they, him and this old bricklayer were really good friends. And so he figured he's going to get him the route first. So I see him running by. I just threw off. Old job site said, just comes to this complete silence. I'm going off. And uh, he goes, takes his stuff, and he he knew that he screwed up, but I did too. And uh, so he gets my grout tube. The whole job, all the crew, I'm here talking 25 guys that are just, they're tough, they're rough, the whole nine yards, and it's silent. Nobody's saying anything anyway. We get back to the hotel and go to my hotel room and uh, Nobody had come into my room yet. We had about four guys in the room. Everybody kind of congregated <laughs> a couple of the other guys' room. Went down. Now, this is within probably the first three, four weeks of, of the job. And uh, go down the room. And I was like, guys, I'm sorry. And we talked. We all talked. We got all of us back into one little room. And uh, we're just talking about it. And Jason and I, we, we just kind of smiled at me when I apologized for just pulling up. And he said, you know, you were right. Just the way you did it was wrong. Yeah. And I said, I appreciate that. And uh, we, we hugged it out. And that, that one instance brought that crew together in such a way then we were receptive because all of us were able to express. And yeah, there was, I mean, it got pretty rough in that room. We, I mean, it got raw, but everything got aired out and it just it welded us together as a crew. He ended up being on my crew for the next 10 years and uh, he's still one of my best friends today. 
Yeah. Builds up trust. Yeah. But it's you have to humble yourself to recognize what area you're riding in. Yeah. This is the owner of the company that can order stuff first when they're going to go do something for some old bricklayer. It's not right when this crew over here ordered it mm -hmm. and you know the process, but the method in which it's done yeah. has to be appropriate. Not so much right or wrong here, it's how you handle it. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The message gets lost in the way you deliver. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's so right. But, you know, because as guys, we tend to never want to say we're sorry. We, you know, that goes against the grain. The very fact that you can do it shows that you're stronger than the other guy. It takes a strong man to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry and mean it. You know, it, it shows that you've got a strength that a lot of guys don't have. And just being able to do that in a setting like that, I'll guarantee you this, they were your crew for 10 years. I'll guarantee you somewhere along the line, one of those guys remembered that and was saying to his wife, as he's thinking in his head, I remember Jesse doing this. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'll guarantee you. Because we all learn better by example than we do by words. We can learn concepts by word, but we really learn conduct by watching someone do it right. I've got a note here back in 2 Corinthians 3, 2. You are a letter written in our hearts, known uh -huh. by all men. I wrote in here, you are the gospel they see. Instead of hearing it, let them see it. Mm -hmm. That's my note there on that one. Yeah. You remember the old poem, I Am My Neighbor's Bible? Mm -hmm. I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. Today, he reads me in my home tomorrow on the street. He may a friend or relative or slight acquaintance be, but I'm my neighbor's Bible, and he is reading me. That's saying how we live is a reflection of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we've all heard this. What you do is so loud I can't hear what you say. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. That's good. What you do speak so loud I can't hear what you say. Any other comments on that one? I got one more passage we might. Let's go to Hebrews 10. These are just a couple of passages I picked out because I thought they showed the effect that putting Psalm 37 into practice would have in our life. So this one's pretty short. Psalm or uh, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, and then he gives us three commands, but they're in the form of an exhortation. Let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the first one. Second one, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. The third one, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I think here, he's just talking about, the, the last passage talked about the love of Christ compelling us, motivating us, moving us. And here he's got basically what we could call three areas of ministry that every Christian has. Number one, our ministry is a priest before God, draw near to the throne of grace. Secondly, our ministry as a witness to the world, hold fast the confession of your hope. And number three, the ministry we have to each other, consider one another to stir up love and good deeds. What a difference it would make if those things were being done every day. We could say our prayer life, our witness, and our service to one another. The better I pray, the better I'll witness, the better I'll witness, the better I'm gonna be an encouragement or servant to fellow believers around me. You know, one thing that uh, it, it is difficult doing everything y'all talked about in business, but I, I think a lot about, you know, churches are very imperfect. And uh, really, I think pastors are in a difficult situation. Um, and I've been praying a lot for hours. I feel like he teaches well, but I just feel like he's not reaching people. And I, you know, I don't know, but the spiritual gift aspect of this uh, and functioning within a church. I mean, being a pastor or having been one, what would you say to the members of, that is the most important thing to encourage the pastor? Pastors get very little encouragement. Yeah. They get a lot of complaints. They get a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're always told what's not right, what's, what's wrong, what needs to be changed. But, you know, I pastored a church at one time with 400 people in it. Mm -hmm. I remember a guy I used to teach. <clears throat> so we had two Sunday morning services, a Sunday evening service. I had a Monday evening youth group with 100 young people in it. Then we had a Tuesday morning ladies class. Then we had Wednesday night Bible class and Thursday night Bible class. Then we had a Friday evening youth group. We had a Saturday uh, like uh, discipleship thing. So you, you get some idea of yeah. how busy I was. And I was working myself into the ground really. And I had this guy that used to come up to me all the time and he'd say, are you tired? I'd say, yeah, I am. I'm really tired. Mm -hmm. He'd say, well, you know what? Just when you get up there to teach and I look at you and you're tired, it just makes it kind of difficult for me to listen to the message. Mm -hmm. uh, that really helped me. Yeah. I felt so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt better. 
Yeah. Can't she just drink an energy drink? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, uh, encourage. To pray for them. Yeah. Pray for them. Give them a word of encouragement. Mm -hmm. uh, look, none of us are perfect. All of us wish that we could do better. All of us should strive to do better. Yeah. But sometimes to just hear that spoke to me, that encouraged me, mm -hmm. that met a need in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, because sometimes you wonder, I wonder if anybody got anything out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, did I, did I prepare that and, and stand up there and, and teach the lesson and did it touch anybody's life? Did it mm -hmm. accomplish anything? And, like the, there's certain times when certain things touch you more than other things. Certain yeah. Things, certain things wrench your heart as they should mm -hmm. more than other things. Mm -hmm. And you can't ever please everyone. Yeah. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't be striving to necessarily always please everybody. Oh, no. No, that's a pitfall, too. You can't do that. Yeah. Jesse, no. I think you're doing a great job. Buddy. There you go. <laughs> that ought to keep you, you going. Hear, you don't hear that enough, I'm sure. That, that'll keep you going six more months. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard pastors complain that uh, they just say it out of frustration. I hear complaints because somebody don't get along with somebody else. They don't like the color of the carpet. Well, I never get a question about the gospel, you know, the, the message. Right. Or just, yeah. just pick one out somewhere and say, I wish I just had a question. What do you think of this verse? The biggest mm -hmm. encouragement thing that I've gotten that just blows me away every time I think about it. We get done with service, and there was a little nine-year-old girl walks up to me after the service. She made her way over to me, and her, her parents were, were right, right there with her. And she said, hey, do you have a list of all the passages you were using today? Uh-huh. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it, well, I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better than no. that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's huge. Well, oftentimes it's the, it's the kids that'll encourage you the most because they're uninhibited and, yep. you know. They don't have the life garbage. Yeah. Don't have to rush on and mow the lawn or something. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I've received a lot of encouragement, but that was the one that just was. That's okay. huge. That's huge. That's the desire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like him asking earlier, you know, what was that third point? Helped us get him in the right song. <laughs> <laughs> well, the more we can realize, particularly in a church setting, but it's true in the home too. You know, we're all weak, we're all fra frail, we all make mistakes, and sometimes they're not mistakes, they're just bullheaded <laughs> things that we do wrong. Um, the more that we can, number one, admit what we've done wrong, and then forgive those that admit they did wrong. Because it's no good for you to come and say, hey, I'm sorry I got out of line, and I say, well, I ain't going to forgive you, I'm going to hold it against you. You know, what good is that going to do? I lived that life with my first wife. <laughs> still, unfortunately, living partially that way with my, through my daughter. Uh, it's, it's, that's, that's a really rough way. Yeah. I really learned a lot from that. 
I'm a much better person for going I'm, through that. I'm sure. But, but God, I wouldn't want to go through it again. Want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it made me a, uh, definitely made me a better, better husband. Yeah. Well, God bless you for that. None of us never say things out of anger. That's the one thing that I really learned. Yeah. Is the I'm not I'm not innocent from it either. Normally didn't start the, the, the nastiness, but I sure did partake. Yeah. And I don't think us guys realize how much our words affect our wives. They're much more sensitive to what we say than we are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, no matter how mad I've got in my life, I never went there and never said the mean and the yeah. things that hurt. Yeah. yeah. That's good. But you can't take them back. And, and it's, That's they, true. It's always there. Yeah. They don't ever forget that. They're not like us. We forget that. Stuff. Yeah. We're, we're, we're meant to be tougher. We're in, you know, and we, we can handle that stuff a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what they said, they forgot what they said. They didn't know what you. Yeah, I've heard the words. Words hurt worse than a slap does sometimes. Go back to my my childhood said that. You know, it's better off just slapping. Yeah. Say the things you did to to discourage. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Tongue coming to fire. What James says. Tongues of fire that burns down the forest. Mm -hmm. All right, well, guys, we've used up about an hour. I appreciate your input. I always enjoy discussion-type classes because I'm benefited by the things that you guys say. And, uh, I think others are as well. I think we've benefited more today. Yeah. It's all it's all been wonderful. It's all been good. Jesse, you want to close? Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Oh, thank you for bringing the church men together here in this room and the ladies in the other. And I pray, Father, that we would take time to uh, let what we've talked about, what we've discussed, resonate within our soul, and that we would uh, that we would strive to pursue that love that compels us. It is that pure love. And uh, I just pray we look at ways that we can stir each other up in, uh, in a righteous way. I pray, Father, that you would be with each one of us as we go home to our families and uh, whatever the situations may be there, that you would guide us into this clarity and how to approach those. And I pray, Father, for Gene and Nana as we're preparing yet again for tomorrow, for the last, uh, the last classes, Father, in the Reverend Church. And I just pray that your spirit would energize them and, and give them the, the ability to continue on and um, pray you to open the eyes for the hearts of those that are going to be here tomorrow that we would hear the message that we would be changed by the message of your word um, your word is alive and powerful and uh, we thank you for that power that you've invested in your word and your truth and it's in your son's name we pray amen, amen. amen.